Hi, you're listening to Oh Hey Heather, Tell Me a Story. Real stories, real experiences, by real people. I hope you enjoy. I really wanted to talk about a article that I read. Have you ever read an article or a book or some type of written word, which is probably why I get so inspired to be, to write is that when you're reading it, it says things or does things that actually makes you earmark that as like a important nugget of something you don't want to forget that you consumed. Um, Gone with the wind was like that when I was a troubled teen and I was sent away and I had that book and I read it cover to cover and then ended up reading those that came after Margaret and Mitchell's passing. And it was just one of those books that just, I don't even remember the whole story or, you know, I mean, I know the hierarching of it. It was the writing. I fell in love with the writing. I fell in love with understanding and emotionally knowing each and every person throughout the whole book. It was just, it was like this, and it came to me at a time when I really needed something, you know, like I've realized that people need a future pinpoint to focus on to get you through where you're at that you may or may not want to do that's uncomfortable so that you can get to the other side of it. And uh, then I was reflecting on this article that I wrote on my site last year called Confrontation Constipation and how I felt like in the workplace and in society and where we are today, people are afraid to confront one another in healthy ways that let them understand something they may or may not be aware they're doing. Kind of like that, you know, blind spot support group where they're telling you that there's something that's happening that you may not realize, but it's, you know, not what you want it to be. Or you want to understand more or learn more, you know, the whole gig. Back to the article. I read this article. It was Rolling Stone. And I started to try to go back into my mind what time period that might have been so that I could look it up and try to find it now online in that version and reread it because I just remember bits and pieces of it that stuck with me to this day. And as I started to look back on the time of when that happened, and when I could have read it so that I know the date, like I kind of have a window, but it's too big of a window to narrow it down. Even though I have some of the content, I'm even typing in keywords like, you know, <laughs> Shenzhen, there's too many things that pull up because there's so many things about it. And that's what made me even think about the article to begin with. And I then started to think about the fact that I had this epiphany last night. And of all, it was just the weirdest thing. I just felt this like urge to contact this place called Buckhead City. I don't know. But anyway, I know I want to just explain things that I have experienced and lived through and hopefully entertaining ways that are curious to listen to or, or want to. And that way, one day my kids will listen to this and understand why I was who I was and why I said what I said and what I did, what I did, whatever that may be. I know it's going to be something that will help, in my opinion, at least put me at peace so that I know I don't have the regret of neglect. I am I have not ever felt this type of 
I don't want to say hopelessness because I, I am full of hope. I will always have hope. And it's not anxiety and fear because I feel I'm at peace. I carry a fear of that which I can't control, which is others, which means my children, my grandchildren, my spouse, my friends, my family, all the people I care about that are in different places in life, different places by zip code and state, different time zones, different places of self-care and confidence of growth and evolution of age. I mean, you name it. We're all over the gamut. We're everywhere. And I want to know what we can do. And if there's people out there or there's some type of thing that's happening that we just don't know about because we are so censored and infiltrated and constantly, constantly uncomfortable because we're accepting things that are being said or done because we're just like, uh-huh, okay, no, that's bad, that's bad, oh, that's not going to work, that's not going to work, and yet we're like, oh, pack it up, guys, i got to go back to work, got to make them taxes, and I'm sharing my stories, and if people think I'm lollygagging, whatever, I'm going to feel good about it because every day I can say, I spewed out. 20 to 40 minutes of things in my mind that have been now escaped and have taken on a new life. They have transferred from brainwaves to documented writings, musings, rants, thoughts, ideas, and they are of my own. And when they are someone else's, I make sure they're someone else's so that I can say this is what I think about them. This is what I, I like about it. This is what I don't like about it. This is what I wish I could do, and this is why because I apply my real life experiences and things I've seen and learned. And I'm trying really hard to break myths of those that seem to be true at the time and in reflection or not, because that's what evolution is about. We've all seen those movies. I mean, think of Scrooge, the, the three wishes of Christmas. You started out one way and came out the other. It's possible. You have hope. But how far is too far? And when do you then have to change the plan and not keep just driving to work and paying your taxes when I just want to get everybody together and enjoy what we can enjoy. I am one I am one grain of sand in a beach of trillions. And I don't want money to be that that keeps us from everything that life was supposed to have taught us in this one chance of this world with no proven science or anything other than there is an afterworld to which you may or may not get in. And, uh, I'm just understanding why there's a lot of people that have figured out they can live by minimal means and work less. Is it lazy? I don't know. 
I've been so driven by the dollar for so long, forcing, you know, like if there's no more nuclear families, everybody wants their own, everybody wants their partnerships and teamworks are more like, what's in it for me, YFM. I used to use that. I used to teach YFM. What's in it for me? That's the way people think. And as long as you can sell them on what's in it for me, what do I get out of it? You got yourself a story. So I know we were living in that cute Victorian house that actually set me free into, ironically, the path that is no longer what it really is. I, I am just so proud that even though I am not perfect and I have had a really bumpy, rough road, it's almost like I rolled uphill, but, uh, I, that house When I was 19, I took advantage of the HUD program as a mother of a toddler, working third shift for 8.25 an hour. And was able to get it for the price of rent. So at the time, rent was averaging three fifty to four hundred a month back then. So it'd been ninety-five, and I think my payment was going to be three hundred sixty-four dollars. It was a nice house. It had been flooded. There was a like a levee, like a wall behind it, and that town was known to flood every now and then. Like once every ten years, it would get a flood, but this thing was built back there to prevent it from ever happening again. And you didn't have to carry flood insurance, in fact. But it had indeed been flooded in the worst flood of their history, which actually was the year, the Clinton years. It was in the early 90s. So it had been just a couple years before, but it's not flooded like that ever since, even now, today. Even though they've had it flood. Not to that house did it make. But because of that, it had all new linoleums and carpets and finishes and... It was a two-box, one-bath, open ranch. Like it was an 1,100-square-foot box. And then what was awesome was it had a full basement that, because of that flood, was able to be fully finished, which meant you had two more bedrooms down there and a huge open room and another bathroom with a really fancy shower and washer and dryer inside of your home. I was like, what? And I uh, hadn't had that since I moved out of my parents' home. And uh, it was on a corner lot that was like two houses because I remember my dad bought me a mower. It was a $100 mower from Walmart. It was a push. And I would take two and a half hours to push mow this corner lot to that hill that would block us from that flood. It was a great big yard. It was 
cool. It had a big old tree in it. Two-car attached garage with driveway up to the front. And then the back had a carport built off of that garage with neat lattice and walls. So you had a bonus like outdoor garage off of the back of that, which was like a porch that then walked up to a back deck with a kitchen with sliding glass doors. I mean, we're talking for being a a 19-year-old single mom of a toddler who was scraping to get by as a third shift security guard at a casino and thinking that this is all like, this is never going to get any better. We lived like we were, oh, it was $64,000. And because of the HUD and the way it was worked, I didn't have to have a down payment and it was based on my income and the rest of it was put on the lien toward the house if I were to sell it before 10 years. So, I mean, to this day, I, I think that's great for people that are in a place of great solid credit. That's why I love Habitat for Humanity. They do that. That's how they do it. They, they teach you sweat equity. They have you help build it. It's 0% mortgage-free based on your income and the value of the home. And the second mortgage is that which you can't afford held back. If you ever sell it within the 10 years, you owe it. If not, it's forgiven. Brilliant. That's how you get people pride of ownership and understanding what the American dream is. It's not giving them an apartment, but it's temporary for them. That's for sure. Temporary, not permanent. Anyway, back to the story. My daughter was able to have a room downstairs dedicated to Barbies. It was Barbie land. And the room happened to have mauve carpets. It was perfect. I had my own bedroom, so did she, but I had my daughter sleep with me until I met my husband when she was eight and a half because we just had a lot and I made sure we were always in the same room behind locked doors together with her behind me and me facing the door that was just what I did for eight and a half years and I know 364 sounds pretty cheap But it was making me have to see after that I left and I went to a state juvenile detention facility to work as uh, cottage people there because my experience from the security after a couple years was able to qualify me to apply for that job which was wonderful because then I got government benefits I recommend that for everybody government benefits all the way Except for now, I was back in the day, that was like the place to work. That was like the, you know how every town's got the place where everybody works? That was that place for that town. Casino, detention facility. And anyway, there was this, I don't even know how to explain it because I actually worked at that facility for four four or four and a half. I don't know. It was somewhere in there. And to this day, I apply it to my human intelligence, to how I treat people, to how I lead teams, to how I build things, to how I decide campaigns, to how I write all of it. Because to me, that was better than any college education I could have had. I I hold that those times in my life, as tough as they were and as hard as they were and as gritty as they are, with the highest terms of endearment for what they helped me and the people around me get through and go through during some really 
different times that I can only relate to, to today because that's what the 90s were. The Clinton era for me now, as I call it that, instead of just the 90s, was transformative of that which we have now, only now it's amplified times 10, 20, 30. Anyway, <clears throat> started at the juvenile home. Get this, $10.63 an hour. And I had, I didn't have to pay for insurance. It was like I hit the lottery and I had that house. Of course, they readjusted my payment because my income changed. So my mortgage became 600 a month, but I could afford it. I mean, it was, it was 30% of your income, which is what they say is the highest point of threshold. And that is true. Like you don't want to go to 31% because then you get uncomfortable. If your washer breaks, you're screwed. But 30, it's okay. And again, I'm not complaining. I, I, I got more, you know, it was okay. I ended up having a roommate and it helped me offset the difference and it worked perfectly. So, and Brie was still able to keep her Barbie land and that went through a couple of roommates and they enjoyed the basement. We lived upstairs and had the Barbie room down there and we always were friends. So it all worked out, but I wanted to get out. I wanted to pursue advertising, marketing, the media. I was doing radio station on the side for six years to also make income. I think I was 26, 27 before I didn't have more than one side hustle and finally just succumbed to a job. I also took a year off in between it all because I had saved enough and I found a house. This was before I, it was right before I met my husband. I even knew he was in the picture. I was planning on a life solo with me and my, my girl, but what I, um, I found a neat, cute Victorian two-story. It was actually either the first house, third house, third building. I don't know, but it was right beside, you know, like office buildings and a courthouse in this old town. And it was a solid, well-maintained home. It had just been lived in by a single elderly widow for a couple of decades and was uh, still in the 70s motif and needed things like, you know, like you, you need to update sinks, you need to get a new furnace eventually, you know, but, but like good roof, uh, bones, you know, the whole like for, for me to take it on and just do, it was all, almost all cosmetic and you could still take off the other things while you lived in it. It wasn't, it was still very, very livable. In fact, I spent the better part of three months. Thank goodness the real estate isn't like it was today. Back then, nobody wanted anything. It was sitting. The woman had passed away in a home. The kids were selling the place as is. All the furniture was still around it and the garage was packed with all of her belongings. They actually ended up letting me get it in the deal which was fascinating because I just thought it was like the coolest thing. Cause I really, I actually made some things with her things to like pay tribute to her. Her name was Alice. And, uh, anyway, I spent the better part of three months trying to get my banker who helped me get the HUD and buy the house I'm in. Cause in that town, you know, you had one bank and there was like two guys and the one guy I, I became his hilarious. Like he'd see, I had him, I had a phone call into him cause I had another idea of how I think 
I could figure out how I could make that house payment and my house payment and make it look good on paper for him so he could get his board to approve to let me buy the other house while I still own the other house. Even though I promised to sell the other house, I needed a stretch because we couldn't we couldn't move in as is. There was no way I was going to do that to my daughter. And by that, I mean, cosmetically, like we ripped out carpets, we painted, we tore wallpaper, like we, my daughter and I, and then friends would come here and there, especially when I needed things lifted or moved or done. And we would slowly move all of our junk over to that house because we knew we would eventually live in that house, but we didn't because, or we, but we took our time for six months. One, I was working two jobs she was going to school. She was in second grade, first, no, first grade. She was in first grade, second. Anyway, I was working the, the, the facility. You had to work weekends and you had to work evenings because that's when you were with all these teenagers when they weren't in the school facility that was on campus. And then I waitressed during the day and then her and I, I protected our days together, which was two nights and one weekday weekend every week and then the rest was just mornings kisses hugs off to school and then grandma got her after school on the days I had to work nights it wasn't sustainable my whole goal was that we get out of the other house that Victorian house I bought asking price and what I I bought it for 30 it was either 34,000 or 36,000 so I had a 36,000 dollar home and a 64,000 dollar home and I was making like, I think I was up to like 11 something by then. And I was waitressing with my tips and I recorded tip receipts for an entire month to show him what I was making. And I may or may not have fibbed it a little bit, but I knew that I was cutting back everywhere else and I could totally make the payments. It just was putting me over a debt to income ratio that they wouldn't be able to approve it at. So let's just say I cooked my books a little bit, but I got her done and so did, and I know he knew and he knew I would make the payment. He just needed it to look right on paper. So we were good. It was all fine. I made it. Everything was great. Um, within that, like right at the end when we were finally like, all right, let's get the house up for market. I did enough things to that home by myself in the four years that I lived there, just with sweat equity and no back skills whatsoever, other than just like painting it, updating it, decorating it to make it look a little nicer, doing flowers and things like that. But I was able to get a new floor in because of insurance when the dishwasher broke. Anyway, I sold that house for 79000 I had to pay off what I owed back for the penalty for not being in there for 10 years and was able to clear a whopping like 4000 or $5,000 that allowed me to buy a new air conditioner furnace unit for that other house that was what we needed before we could move in and I met the love of my life who was joining the facility to work and helped me move because I could have never moved I had a flipping piano that was given to me there was no way so he and all my co-workers came one day and we did a big move and that's how I met him or not met him but got to actually spend more time with him anyway he and I were married we were still living in that house. He had practically transformed it for us. We actually ended up more than doubling the equity in that home and using it to build our own house that we ended up taking on next. But it was in that house. 
was in that house we were married already. Green couch, brand new carpet, living room. I know we were already in the Iraqi war and all that stuff because I remember that happening shortly after. It is somewhere between 2003 and 2005 because by 2006 we built our house. So it was within those three years. There's an article from Rolling Stone about Shenzhen, China. It is a town that was built out of nothing. They built the skyscrapers and it was more of a build it and they will come type of scenario where they were creating a town. They were creating their own Silicon Valley and they were actually working with America in a lot of ways on this. And they were doing crazy things that you'd never heard of. And they were building their own town with their own rules. And they were doing this thing called face recognition. And back then nobody had heard of it. And they were talking about how they can scan your faces, like the minority report stuff. And they were building all the tech right there in this town. And they were building the town around the tech. And I remember reading all of it, thinking, oh my goodness. And it was telling you also about all the horrors of China, things that were going on, how we were partnering with them, how we were uh, involved. And I think about all the things we're hearing today about Shenzhen and the Wuhan lab and how embedded we are. And I saw this list of all the companies that are American companies that we think but are now owned by China. I already talked previously on a different episode about the company called BlackRock, who is buying up towns and developments and turning them into rental properties and have Chinese investors behind them to do it and are buying them at mass scale, especially across Texas right now. And when I was looking at the list of companies that are now owned by China that you may not have known because I didn't. I thought they were still in California, which come on guys, after what happened with California, do you really think they're not China? Like that is China. Like that's China's port. Like if Cancun was America's hotspot for Mexico, California is China's favorite place. So I take that back. They like New York too, but, uh, and I'm not talking about Chinese, uh, like a broad, like all Chinese. I'm talking about the corrupt CCP Chinese that are paying off Americans and using money and greed to fuel them looking away from us and letting us all fall at the mercy of what is to fall from us because they truly believe they will come out unscathed and still be able to maintain their lifestyle and not have to worry about us. That's the people we put in charge. They do not care. The elitists do not care. We're still watching their videos. We're still clicking likes. We're still sharing our media with them. We don't care. Why should they? So one of my favorite things now that I've gotten away from all social media, which now I realize today I have to delete all of it and I really, really wish I didn't, but I think it's for the best. And I mean all of it as the mainstream, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all of it's gone. I, Twitter and Facebook have been gone, but now Instagram, that's the next one to go. I'm sad because I at least like to see pictures of my friends and family, but you know what? Then I thought, that's okay. I really got into Snapchat. I really started liking it and embracing it and because I like it's just one-on-one. -on -one. I can pick the people I want to see it and we enjoy it. And you know what? F it. F it. I've been doing Snapchat now for a year and a half. They were purchased and they are now owned by Shenzhen. Shenzhen China has Snapchat. What is fun with Snapchat? Face filters. We all make face filters. And 
they now own them. Cheers! And there you have it, another episode of Oh Hey Heather. I hope it has made you think of a story of your own, or how you could relate to this one, or if anything, just something you could enjoy. Thanks everyone, and have a great one.